0: You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Amie Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Okay, everyone, welcome back to this episode of One Broken Mom. I am really honored to have with me Dr. Margaret Rutherford. Um, She's been a psychologist and having her own practice for over 25 years, and she recently just published a book in the fall of 2019 called Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression. Um, I have her on the show today because I've heard from many of my listeners, and I have also been personally um, had a front row seat to the topic of enmeshment um, from subtleties to extremes. And I've, you know, unfortunately been victimized by people who but were victims themselves of this dynamic and know full well of the costs and the dangers that it plays in our lives. And I I came upon Dr. Rutherford, um, Margaret's work, because she had written an article about it. And I'll have a link to the article in the podcast notes here. Um, and as we had emailed back and forth, she had expressed that she'd had some personal experience with it. And so Um, I'm looking forward to this. I say that a lot on all my episodes. I'm always looking forward to my episodes. Um, This one I think will be particularly intriguing. I'd like for my parents that are listening to this to really take away some good stuff about their relationships with their children, um, hopefully to dispel the fear of connection with our kids. But for those of you that have this, um, dynamic at play presently in your life or had to deal with it in your family, I'm hoping that we can come up with some ideas and some understanding of, of what happens in this, uh, this condition, I guess, for lack of a better word. So welcome to the show, Margaret.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I'd call it a dynamic probably <laughs> since <laughs> it's not a, condition. it's not a medical condition. Right. But you know, the interesting thing, I mean, is that, um, one of the problems with uh, the dy- dynamic again of enmeshment is that to those living it, it's it's not. It doesn't look like a problem to them. Uh, it's probably people who enmesh themselves with their children may have come from enmeshed relationships with their own parents, and it's it's what they ter- it's what they believe is love. That sort of lack of boundary. Uh, there's where y- where your child begins and you end is, is very vague. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and we can talk more about the specifics, but it's it's you know one thing when you're depressed or when you have a panic attack or something like that, um we can tell something's wrong, you know I'm not myself, this isn't right, um I am struggling, and yet enmeshment is often really even culturally considered. Wow, uh, you and your mom or you and your dad or, uh, are so close, and that's so wonderful, but there are definitely some problems within measurement.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I think about family systems theory, I've, you know, I, I've got a book that I'm working on, too, that's mo- mostly a business book, but, you know, the topic of differentiation comes up in there. And um, Sure and the idea of the, you know, the whole family unit nervous system, you know, of everybody's parts. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there is a nervous system, like there's a family, you know, system in there that all, we are all wired to kind of interact with one another. Um, and I know that then there's this, this ideology that then gets passed along, which is um, that you don't want to have too close of a relationship with your your children because you don't want to ruin them you don't want to quote air quotes spoil them um you know there's a lot of really negative and hostile dialogue you know in culture today about you know the you know the generation you know they pick on the millennials because you know they they seem like they got gold stars <laughs> poor millennials nothing. oh i know <laughs> they do get
1: picked on a lot
0: <laughs> they do they really do um and so there's this you know there's this swinging of like well i don't want to spoil my kids so let's just leave them to the wolves you know kind of an idea um, and I've, I've covered this topic as well, especially when it comes to boys, you know, that you don't want to, you know, you don't want to coddle them and you toughen them up and, and all that stuff. And so I would imagine that people that are listening to this that are actually um, parents, you know, may feel this sense of anxiety that there's a fine line between having this healthy connection, connected relationship with their children And then slipping into the super toxic dynamic of enmeshment. But I have to believe that it's not a fine line. Like, it's not like you can accidentally go too far. Like, um, that there's a a really robust, healthy connection. And then you have to really make a huge leap to get into enmeshment. Um, But you're the expert. So can you help describe what those differences really do look like?
1: Well, what you just said made me think of several things. And one of them is that you mentioned family systems theory, which is about it's a psychological theory that addresses family dynamics and family communication style and uh, just who, what roles do people play in their families. And so it's a whole way of looking at psychology. Those particular therapists usually, in fact, have all the family come in, I mean literally the children, the dog, the grandparents, if they're living there, you know everybody comes to the therapy session and so and I was trained in that model um, in in uh, graduate school. I did a year of study at the um, the Southwest family uh, Institute there in Dallas, and really there are there are two poles uh, of family systems theory i 'm going to mention one by Robert beavers um, where and I don't want to get too technical, but basically there are two kinds of families that are on either end of the, of that distribution. And one of them is called a centripetal family, centripetal, like the force going inward. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get enmeshment in those kinds of families. There's families that tell you things like at the most severe, you can only trust family or, you know, um, they're families who don't allow their kids really, or even support their kids doing too much outside the family, or they're sort of, um, it's, there's a lot of questioning. Well, why can't you talk to me about that? Why would you need to talk to your friend about that? The other pole is what's called the centrifugal family where the energy is like, is going outward, right? In those families, they say, get a job at 13 and <laughs> you know, my dad, not your, your dad and I can't support you past high school or, uh, there's so little, emotional connection in the family that actually kids have to go outside of the family for any kind of intimacy. So you've got these families where all the energy is going inward and you've got the families where all the energy is going outward. Of course, healthy families are somewhere in the middle, right? (laughs) So I think that's what you're talking about is, is how subtly does that happen where um, you go from really having a healthy relationship with your child and where you cross the line. One of the things then I thought about was um, a lot of parents suffer, understandably in many ways, with believing that their children are an extension of them, mm-hmm. and this happens especially with enmeshed parents, where if Johnny wins the spelling bee, it means that you've been a good dad, that you you obviously should be proud of yourself, or if you know, whatever accomplishment there is or whatever failure there is or whatever struggle there is, you see that as about the quality of your parenting. Now, it might have something to do with the quality of your parenting, but when there's very little line between you and your child, for example, let's say your daughter is becoming a teenager and in the most severe form, enmeshment can look like the mom that goes out with her teenage girl uh, and her friends or dresses like them or doesn't allow that young woman to come into her own. I worked with a man many years ago now that, and he was in his thirties or forties. And I, I, his, he did everything with his father. I mean, there, I mean, everything. And I looked at him at one time in the session said, you're kind of married to your dad. And he said, well, I'm worried about what my dad would be like if I didn't include him. And I said, that's, you know, there's almost that sense of obligation Mm -hmm. when you're the enmeshed child, that you're doing something wrong by growing up and growing away. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so is there, you know, you mentioned boundaries and that's, you know, one of the, the one, you know, I've got a dozen questions here for you. (laughs) Um, but you know, there it's, we talk a lot about that on the show. So that concept won't be new to anybody that's listening here, but, um, you know, the idea that there's an extension that, you know, um, the parents just can't see you, you know, in your own autonomous form. Um, And so, of course, we all are learning, you know, those of us that, you know, create the show and listen to the show, are all learning about boundaries and how to recreate those boundaries. And so um, you're just, you are describing this as if there's just no distinction between um, how you view your kids and and what they are as humans, and you can't see them as an individual human, then there's, there is a, um, maybe some work on your sense of self here. Um, Because I can see that, you know, some people not everybody is of a toxic personality. I want to put that out there, but sometimes if we have that dynamic and it is wired into us because of that relationship um, we don't, like you said, view it as maybe a bad thing because that's right. just the way, you know, our family, you know, was set up and stuff. Um, so again, I don't want to freak parents out, you know, about that, that um, for them to not want to pat themselves on the back because their kid did do something good because sure, they did sure. put in some effort, right. Sure, um, to help course. them to get through that.
1: Um, Well, let's talk a little bit about just enmeshment in general mm -hmm. and and let's sort of define it. In fact, there's a great book called The Emotional Incest Syndrome Mm -hmm. that's written by Dr. Pat Love that turned me on to a lot of things. There's also an older book that's a much harder read, kind of boring In fact at the beginning. It's called The Drama of the Gifted Child. And um, the emotional incest syndrome was sort of a popularized version of The Drama of the Gifted Child. But basically what happens in enmeshment? Is that a parent, usually a parent, um, pulls a child in to the dynamic between, to the dynamic where, uh, for, for their own self gain, meaning that they will look at the child and say things like, there's no one who makes me as happy as you do, or um, I've never felt more love than I have, you know, from you, or, and so the, the, the child is given the job. So to speak, of pleasing the parent and of even being their confidant, being someone that the parent can count on so sometimes actually taking the place of the husband or wife and who really should have that role um, in in a healthier family. but what this sets up is that the enmesh, the parent who 's doing the enmeshing they have adult problems. They have their children can't do anything about those adult problems. If if your mother or your father has low self-esteem, if they struggle with anxiety or if they have an alcohol problem or whatever it is, a child can't solve those problems. In reality, you can be told umpteen hundred times how much your presence in their life means to them, but you're not going to, you don't have the power to fix their problem. So this is what happens. You're given the job, but you always fail at the job Mm -hmm. because your parent really isn't happy. So you just keep pouring more energy into trying to make them happier, trying to make their lives better and actually feel like you're abandoning them. When you say, for example, that, you, um, you want to go to a college far away or you're going to join the military or you're going to do something that's more about your own independence or own about your, about your own goals. And the parent can become, you know, quite agitated about that or not even supportive. Um, and, again, this may vary. For example, these are the parents and children who talk or text, I mean, a lot of times per day and see it as normal, mm-hmm. um, and don't even see that. In fact some, I'll have, I live in a college town Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I have a fair amount of college students as patients. And someone will say, well, I hate being at the university. And I say, well, why? I can't make any friends. And so I start talking to them about what kind of relationship they have with their parents or a parent, and they say, oh, I talk to my mom all the time. Well, like how, how often is that? Oh gosh, eight or 10 times a day we text or we at least have a conversation. And my comment to them is, so what about the person walking next to you to class? Now I know I'm older. I love texting. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But you know, maybe you could walk into class and go, Hey, you know, I'm Margaret or, you know, whatever. Um, you're counting on your parents to remain your foundation. And the parent is quite willingly doing that. So, um, the the dynamics are hurtful and even they may not seem hurtful to the now even adult child who's pulled into the parental um, need. And that can just be devastating. It also can give the message maybe inadvertently, but it can give the message that the child needs the parent. Mm -hmm. They need their involvement. So I, I was hugely affected by this that I didn't realize that I even could live my own life, mm-hmm. that I could make good decisions. I was so accustomed to running those decisions by my parent that once I got out in the real world, I made terrible decisions because I really had not, I had not learned about my own process for making decisions and just counted on my, especially my mom, way too much.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I wanted you to be able to share that experience because I think it. Um, sure. When I do see people with write into me, um, and, and again, you're the expert here. Does it tend to be experiences? I have the, with I have the letters
1: after my name. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: okay. All right. All we can talk about is our war stories, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but with this enmeshment, this, um, and you know, I didn't use the word emotional incest, but I have heard it. Um, because mm. it, it sounds really icky and gross, icky. you know, yeah, and it kind of books, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> right. Um, and so, but it, yet it also drives conversations away from, you know, I think it pushes people away from talking about this. And so um, I'm glad you brought it up because that is a, another word and that it kind of does stir a bad feeling in you because sometimes that, that kind of what it is, it's to have to be that emotional confidant, you know, for a parent. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I'm curious about whether or not does enmeshment tend to occur with a mother and a child, or it does it? Is there um, evidence that it's fifty fifty? Um, you know, what have you seen in terms of oh, what, oh, the, the because of gender
1: fifty fifty by gender?
0: Yeah, right.
1: That's a good question. Um, I have seen it with fathers. Um, I don't. I don't know if it is uh, as problematic as between mothers and their daughters. Um, basically, when you think about it. I mean, Freud would love this right. <laughs> Boys have to separate more from their mothers uh, early on because they aren't female. I, I, I'm not I'm not speaking about transgender issues or sexual orientation or anything at this point, but basically, little boys start orienting themselves more, a, a lot of them um, to their with their fathers. And so you you already have this uh, dynamic. however, Um, certainly it's not that older boys or sons don't feel like it's their duty to take care of their mother. Sometimes they do, but that emotional neediness um, might be more prevalent, I would think with girls. And when you think about it developmentally, girls don't start separating from their moms until much later. I mean, psychologically separating. And so, you know, that's why t- teenage girls uh, are really can be quite difficult because they are trying to separate. And so anything their mom does is just awful and mm-hmm. horrible and they hate them. So, but actually in enmeshed relationships, that doesn't happen. That kind of independence and that kind of um, seeing themselves as different than, than than their moms are, you know, it's it's much delayed in, in daughters who have uh, enmeshed relationships with their, because with their mothers, because they don't want the conflict. You know, mm-hmm. there's a huge avoidance of conflict.
0: Interesting. Yeah. You just made me think of, you know, I've heard this from some of my, um, or I've seen this. So I have a 15 a year old daughter. She's going to be 15 in a week after this interview. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then my son is 17 years old. And what I've seen is with some of their friends as they're in this stage of individuation from their parents. Um, I've, I've watched, some of the guilt the parents have laid back on these kids, you know, making comments like, well, you just don't like me anymore. You just don't like hanging out with me anymore. And I just, and I see these poor kids and I, I watched this one weekend with a, with one of my daughter's friends and my heart broke because he was so torn up. I mean, he just was, eviscerated by the language from his, you know, his father who was like, because the child wanted to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to go hang out with friends, you know, it's, it's a normal thing. And, um, but parents do have this withdrawal system, you know, or, Mm. or process that they go through. And, um, and I just, um, you know, it, it, when you watch the children trying to do that, and then they get, you know, this kid was crying to get back yeah. to his dad. No dad, I don't mean that. And I'm just like, Oh gosh,
1: let me just, yeah, I'm it's just really crushed. hard to watch when it's that obvious. It's really hard to watch
0: for sure. Now you had said something about you know, that you had an enmeshed relationship with your own mother. Um, you know, how did that, if you don't mind talking a little bit about that, mm-hmm. you know, what did that look like and, and how did you move through that? Um, and, and out,
1: um, Well, I didn't even recognize it until, gosh, I'd been in therapy a long time. Um, In fact, a therapist asked me if I'd ever considered if my mother was manipulative, and I walked out of the session. I was so protective of her that I couldn't even hear a word like that attached to her because she did love me very well in many ways. She did, except it just was over the top. It was overprotective. It was, there was no boundary. Um, and so I, it, I was in my 30s before I recognized that a lot of the things I was allowing my mother into in my life was really choking me. I mean, I, I, it was just not appropriate. It, the, the things I would invite her to do mm-hmm. because I thought she'd enjoy them. She'd enjoy living my life with me, basically, was my thought. And yet, that that wasn't fair to me. That wasn't happening with my peers. But I couldn't see it until actually, sadly, I had two, relation, two marriages break up. And in both those marriages, my mother was a problem. Now, there were other problems. Mm-hmm. One of them was actually abusive. But I kept hearing this, you know, your relationship with your mother is weird. Your relationship with your mother is weird. And I finally went, my relationship with my mother is weird. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, and I remember I, actually trying to save my second marriage. I did confront her. Uh, it was a very difficult thing for her to hear and for me to say. Um, and we actually never talked about it again. And there are other, there are other aspects of that that are important. But um, it was it was very difficult. And um, her feelings were tremendously hurt, just like I'd assumed they would be. Mm-hmm. And um, But I knew I was doing the right thing. So, um, but I felt I I was a sickly kid. And so some of it was set up because my mother, my, my doctor told my mother now, again, this might not have been really true. Maybe my mother's interpretation that she needed to go with me. If I ever went out of town, for example, on a choir tour that, you know, I, I had these medical problems and she needed to be there to watch. And so literally the first night that I ever spent away from my mother when if I wasn't at a a trusted friend's house Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't go to camp I didn't do any of those things was when I went to college wow and I was told by her well you know you may not be able to do this Hmm. and I went my damn I'm gonna do it (laughs) (laughs) because I could feel the stricture I could feel how tight those bonds were but I I'd become So accustomed to them that I saw them as normal until I got older and older and older and realized, wow, this is causing problems. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, from her point of view, she had not had a good relationship with her mother, quite the opposite of what we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. when this is handed down from generation to generation. She saw it as loving me with all her heart Mm -hmm. and sacrificing for me. And doing, going out of her way to be an attentive loving mom um the the problem was she didn't see that i mean she, she would talk to me about, about the problems between herself and my dad in a very inappropriate way. Um, I probably I've laughed that I became a therapist because I was my mother's therapist
0: <laughs> <laughs> right some truth there though right <laughs> yeah,
1: and in yeah. fact, I had a therapist say it's time for your mother to get her own therapist. <laughs> <laughs> So all those bonds were very difficult to break because I felt like I was abandoning her and doing something wrong. But I, I gradually realized, um, and thank goodness I did for her and for myself. Well, I'm not so sure she was too happy about it, but certainly for myself, I needed to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I got to tell you that when I was reading through your bio on the website there, um, you you made a comment and it resonated with me. I think if we were looking at the two poles of the families, right, the one where it's centripetal, it's all moving inward or centrifugal. Um, right. I felt on the centrifugal side, really pushed out um, except, you know, for variety of tasks that I had to attend to as the oldest daughter with younger brothers and um, in dealing with an emotional, immature um, mother that was, um, I, you know, I would never have Defined her as being like a true narcissist, but definitely that emotional immaturity made it a lot about her and not about sure. you know um, sure. other things. And that's so I, a really I, good point to make that it's yeah. very
1: immature. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and so you know, and that comes from talking to amazing people like you and becoming more more educated. But one of your comments that just struck me was, um, uh, it says here I began writing online in 2012 and I was just narcissistic enough to believe that I might have something funny or, or um, fresh to share and what 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 drew me to that was the fact that that's kind of the mentality that I have like when you get in a dynamic like this and you're swallowed or ignored both right it's one or the other you yeah. feel like you have something to prove not everybody has that mindset and that comes down to probably the dna and the mix of the experiences and the mix or whatever it is that makes it but you know i i was like yeah i've, I've made that comment myself like it takes a degree of narcissism <laughs> to think that you're good enough to do a show for example or write a book or you know you, that what you have to share with the world is better than what's already out there in some way it was very um, interesting
1: i mean when when i told my mom, I I was a professional singer in my 20s. And so I really, I I completely turned things around in about eight or nine years to become a clinical psychologist. But when I told my mom that I was going to do that, I guess she thought about it for a while. She called me and said, Margaret, I think you're a little too judgmental to be a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) And, And you could hear that as soon as I was Approaching the idea that maybe I could be powerful in my own right and that I could forge ahead and create a career that it was very either scary to my mom or she wanted to dampen my enthusiasm for it. She just could not see that I was going to do something important to me and hopefully help other people and And actually she was talking about herself. Right. So she was far more judgmental. I'm sure I have been in my lifetime. We all do it to a certain extent, but Mm -hmm. no, I'm no, i I can. I can say that I'm not judgmental.
0: <laughs> well, and you. So you described this relationship, which um, you know tr- was triggering for me because it sounded very, very similar to the my personal experiences with this, with this dynamic. True. And um, when you had originally defined, um, that's okay. Like I, I deal with being triggered a lot as I do the show, so it's you know it's what therapy does for you, is it helps yeah, you I do know. that. Um, but you, when you described the um, the original definition of enmeshment as you know um, this o- overt uh, display of you make me feel you know I get this from you kind of languaging, um, I wasn't seeing that. And then when you told your story, that's what I what I had seen and experienced, which was this um, which was this parent who felt like they needed to step in because they didn't have the close relationship with their, with their own mother and needed to, uh, to just, uh, you know, take their arms around their child and, and be there everywhere. And so as you're talking about going on trips and not having anyone having your mom there, I'm thinking about this individual that I'm thinking about how mom was there for everything. And, mm-hmm. um, and what happened to this person sadly was, um, you know they had this love hate relationship inside of themselves, Oh yeah oh, and yeah, so and cute. so, and I wanted to talk about narcissism because how this individual ended up like kind of evolving was because they seemed to be linked together, and that's why I said your comment about narcissism, you know you know makes sense, but of course, when we can call ourselves a narcissist, we're not um and, but the um they seem like that enmeshment is this complete erosion of the autonomy of the child. And that when they're overwhelmed by their parents' involvement in every aspect that there's this subconscious, you know, revolt against it. Um, And so, you know, what I noticed in this family was that this, um, wanting to be free but yet still heavily reliant and not knowing how to free themselves Mm -hmm. i could see this person deal with the inner shame of being torn by that like being Mm -hmm. really resentful that they didn't want mom around all the time and mom was around all the time and if you had a conversation with her about boundaries she got her feelings hurt she'd throw the silent treatment around and then she'd creep right back in and you'd have to just sit there and go the hell? Like, how do we, you can't even address it. Like, you know, and the intent on the outside, like you said on the outside, people like, Oh, you have a great relationship. But it's like, when you're in it, it was there, you know, it was coming over to the house whenever they felt like it. And even if you said, listen, don't like, you know, there needs to be space here, um, validating it (laughs) for whatever their reasons were. And the validation was always love and i and i honestly believed with this with this particular parent that's that truly was the motivation but because that there was no way of def- of seeing of having any empathy and seeing what the consequences of that was um, and I, I, you know, I couldn't have a conversation with this person and say, let's talk about this. Let's explore this need to be in every, you know, hands and everything, uh, you know, in life. Um, but once I saw this and I saw this painful cycle watching it and I saw everybody like, you know, around it, um, I, you know, I couldn't help but just understand just how, like how torn this was. Um, and well, so, you know, uh, go ahead, I, please. Yeah. You no, know,
1: I, I think we have to be careful because, enmeshment can actually occur in people who do not have personality disorders and can recognize, oh, I thought this was appropriate for me to do. Of course I need to back. I mean, I, I've not worked with many, but I have worked with a few mother daughter pairs where there is an acknowledgement on the mother's part. Oh, wow. I'm really struggling with letting my son or my daughter go. And, um, it, and the, the transformation in their own lives is important because they they get to look at their own lives as, well, I need to have my, a life. I need to have something that is really meaningful and fresh for me as I watch my daughter or son leave. So that's a gift that... That person can give themselves, but when you cross over into the parent is also having either narcissistic or borderline kind of uh, dynamics or character traits, then that's when that sort of lack of empathy and and emotional chaos can become even more pronounced um, in the through the enmeshment um, where someone with narcissistic tendencies will more see their child as someone that they need. They need that child to be there for them when they need them. And when, when, and when, you know, it's sort of like on call, you're on call, Mm -hmm. uh, a borderline parent will probably dish out a bunch more about a borderline traded with traits will dish out more about how, if you want to do something without them, you're abandoning them you're abandoning them now, maybe a narcissistic parent would do that too some there's a you know the, there's some people who sadly qualify or fit some criteria for both, and those people are really tragically um, confused mm-hmm. but uh, their offspring is even more confused mm-hmm. um, i I remember a a woman who actually and this will get your attention to something. She started to see me because she had been sexually abused by her therapist. Wow. And she was quite devastated by that. She finally recognized what was going on. Um, He lost his license. And this was a couple of years after that, before she even dared to trust a therapist. And she came in, and we worked on those dynamics. But then I started hearing about a relationship with her mom. And sure enough, what had been set up in that mother-daughter relationship was no boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so when it was reenacted with the therapist, she was blind to what was going on. Because what had happened was he had groomed her like a lot of uh, sexual abusers do, and she just hadn't seen it coming. And a lot of it was because of the context with her mom um so i think that what this enmeshment can set you up for is you know we all when we seek loving relationships we we uh, we, we define love by what's familiar mm-hmm. we define love by usually you know what happened in our own families that was called love. Now sometimes if that's truly abusive and awful looking, we don't, but we will, then we'll try so hard to find the opposite <laughs> that we can cause problems. But someone who's enmeshed, again, many of those people like me, it took me until my early thirties to truly know what was going on. And I didn't realize that I was being attracted to the familiar. Mm-hmm. I was being attracted to men, for example, who, who did not have any boundaries with me and wanted to con- wanted a lot of control, mm-hmm. and so um, that was problematic. Um, so I do think that the what needs attention and what needs awareness is you may be thinking you're helping your child and that you want to be that involved with them, but your your parents are all parents are modeling what is. An appropriate, healthy kind of loving relationship to have. Mm -hmm. And then often that, that, um, that sculpts a child's understanding of, um, what they need to seek. And that, that can be very sad.
0: Mm -hmm. It makes me think of, um, when you hear couples complaining or women complaining that their husband wants them to act like they're his mom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. and, and that way, and that was part of my experience in, in this uh, particular situation was that ultimately the, uh, you know, the relationship devolved to where there was an expectation that I would be there all the time, put everything else on hold, provide money when needed, oh, not sure. ask any questions, sure. you know, but yet it was resentful. I mean that, and that, and so it made it emotionally painful, toxic, and abusive when there was no compliance to this standard that had been set by the enmeshed mother, you know? Um, I mean, and it was, it was tough. You took a deep breath in. So I totally want to hear what you have to say.
1: (laughs) Again, I want to stress, maybe even some people listening are saying, but what's wrong with this? What's wrong with a, a parent wanting to help their child? What's wrong with, uh, giving and being interested and caring and, um, gosh, I wish my parent had done that for me. They instead they call them, said I'd never amount to anything. I think it's what happens more subtly that that that's a problem. The same woman who was sexually abused by her therapist told me a story about her mom that, um, now she's a little older than I am. And so, you know, she was a child, way, a college student way before cell phones and all that stuff. But her mother would send her packages of clothes at her college. And her roommates and dorm mates would say, wow, God, I wish my mom would send me packages. But the sad thing was, and there were tears that came to her eyes, she said I would open it. And they were all clothes that my mother thought I would look good in. Oh, gosh. Not clothes that I might have chosen myself. And so if I didn't wear them, i wasn 't appreciating what she'd done for me if I did wear them, I felt so strange and like I was trying to put on a, a the the persona that my mother wanted for me instead of the one that was really me and that kind of subtlety is is hard for people sometimes to to have because it can look like bounty. It can look like caring. It can look like it can, it can really dress itself up as something far healthier than it is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 took my own deep breath in when you said that, cause <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, reflecting back on my own personal life and, you know, like I said, I had the centrifugal push, but part of that was my own energy of pushing myself out because I did have, I did have these, uh, um, this mom who tried to do that, but we were so different. And I recognized my own individuality as, you know, from a, from an intellectual standpoint, we weren't close together, like, you know, um, and things, she was deeply connected with her own parents, like lived in the same town, took care of her mom all the time, took care of her parents all the time. You know, I, she, she actually, um, this is my own mother, um, You can see outside, you know, separation of years in therapy, how her preference was to be in that family dynamic, playing the role of the, you know, of the little sister and taking care of the parents and all that other. And so when she would do this, I remember actually being in tears myself in high school, uh, trying to pick out the dress I was going to wear at my high school graduation. And I found the dress I wanted and I put it on and I loved it. And my mom just hated it, wanted me to try on something that I thought was just dumpy and terrible looking and refused to buy me the dress I wanted because she just insisted that this other dress was like the better dress. And I I left yeah. the store crying. And finally, an aunt had said, dear God, like, just get her the dress. Like, I mean, you know, why are you like it was that emotional? And I would get the same sure. thing. I'd get these packages like a sweatshirt. I'm like, God, I would never wear this whole thing. But I could see how she couldn't distinguish. She never, you know, she never saw who I really was. Like it was all, I just all she saw was this little version of this mini version of her reflecting back. And so I, the enmeshment didn't happen because I just early on just couldn't do it. I couldn't play along with it because I felt so strongly about who I was.
1: Sure. Well, you know, I'm also thinking about my dad's role in this and my mom actually developed a prescription drug addiction. And when Mm -hmm. she left to go address it, she had to get off the drugs Many years later, uh, my brothers and I had some pretty honest conversations with our dad. And one of the things I asked him was, Dad, every time I would call, which was frequent, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he'd go, Hey, hey, Margaret, let me go get your mom. I mean, it, there, there wasn't a, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Are you okay? It was just, Hey, Chris, let me get your mom. And I looked at him I said, I, I, I did, never could. I never could understand that. And he looked at me and he just got this very sad look on his face. And He goes, Margaret, I knew your mother needed you. And so from his perspective, he was taking care of his wife by sort of seeing this, seeing my role in meeting her needs where maybe he felt like he couldn't. Hmm. And so, um, that he, he didn't enable, well, I guess it is from enabling it. Mm-hmm. Later, the older I got, the more he and I developed our own relationship, which was at my insistence really. And we had a great relationship, but it took me, <laughs> I was living in Little Rock, Arkansas, and my family's from Southern Arkansas. And I can remember calling my dad when I was 22 or 23 and saying, I'd like to have lunch with you. And he goes, well, let me ask Bet. That's Bet." Betty was her name. Let me ask Bet if we can come. And I said, no, Dad, I want to have lunch with you. <laughs> well, my mother was so upset. Mm-hmm. Um, why wasn't she invited? And what were we going to talk about? And this, that, and the other. And so I told him at that lunch, you know, I want a relationship with you. And this was long before the conversation about the telephone call. So gradually we began building our own relationship, but it was very difficult to do so.
0: Mm-hmm. No, oh, I can imagine. Now, what are some of the other outcomes for adults who grow up with an enmeshed parent? Um, I, you know, I'm curious about whether or not codependency becomes a danger, or love addiction, or, you know, we talked a little bit about narcissism. That's probably an extreme case, but I imagine, you know, there may be some narcissistic tendencies in order because of just, you know, when you have chances to individuate, you do um, sometimes at the, you know, making you know, I call them poor choices, but you know, they might rub somebody the wrong way, but you know, is there, is there any, um, common, you know, kind of outcomes that people that have dealt with an enmeshed relationship will kind of express out in adulthood and in personal relationships or life?
1: Sure. I think the most important thread of all that, no matter what it might look like diagnostically Mm -hmm. is that your boundaries are just really screwed up. Mm -hmm. And, if you don't recognize it and really work on it. So if it goes unseen and unidentified, um, then you will enter the world believing one, that you're that important to everybody. <laughs> and uh, Or that other people have the right to say what they think about your life or You know, it's just that you don't, again, I'll use a simple phrase that I used before. You don't know where you begin and other people's where you end and other people begin. Mm -hmm. So you either can become um, needy yourself and maybe even manipulative yourself in order to set up these kinds of dynamics with people um, that you want them to be there for you or you, or vice versa that it's okay that you're supposed to be there all the time for them. Or you can you can struggle so with independence and making good choices that you just kind of go from chaotic relationship to chaotic relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that I know exactly, you know, are there the three specific outcomes from enmeshment? I just think it's probably one, it's very dependent on your awareness of it and how hard you've worked on it. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to know that you are um you're establishing much clearer expectations with people of what's okay with you and what's not. Mm -hmm. And they can with you. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, like all adult children, we all have to watch whether we're recreating what was created for us or whether we're trying so hard not to, that we over, overdo it. Swing the other direction. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There probably is some scholarly article out there that <laughs> talks about the three basic things that happen with enmeshment. But I've seen a lot of different things. So I think it's it's a bit more
0: diverse than that. I would agree with that. Yeah. And I think that, um, the, the big thing you struck right on it, which is the boundary violation. And again, a lot of people yeah. that are have dealt with a variety of childhood adversities and childhood traumas, um, tend to really have a lot of issues with, with the boundary part of it. Um, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, you know, you don't have to have an enmeshed parent relationship to also <laughs> still have a boundary Right. issue. Um, and so, you know, that's where, you know, definitely learning that. And I, you know, I've experienced people too, that just, um, you know, have a hard time learning then how to express and hold those boundaries and not having all that shame. And that, you know, I call it the wobble inside, you oh, know, the really just yeah. dis- the discomfort with that. And, um, you know, I was talking with somebody recently and we were talking about, you know, improvement and assertiveness. And I just looked and I was like, if you're just now working on it, oh my God, I got something to tell you, your life is drastically going to change. Like yeah. it's going to be amazing <laughs> yeah. in a year. And they're just like, what? And I said, no, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. you know, life changes once you are able to understand what boundaries are, oh, yeah. love them and then be able to speak and hold them over and over and over again and get past the internal discomfort to a point of where you realize that there are good relationships out there. There are good people out there that have an understanding of that. And the people that don't are truly, um, are truly people that you should keep at a distance, um, so that you can keep your sense of, of self there. Um, so yeah, I don't need a diagnosis to know that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You can learn to say no.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Totally. Um, so let's give us, I, I want to have some time here because not only do you have I'm book. I'm not crying
1: because of the topic. I'm crying. <laughs> I had a little coughing fit and my throat's dry, so I've got That's tears. Okay. That's okay.
0: Um, now I did mention this in the <laughs> intro, but it is important. Uh, which is that you do have a podcast yourself called Self Work. And um, it, where so people that love podcasts are obviously listening to this show, so I know that they'd be interested in learning more about you. So would you mind talking a bit about what that podcast is for and for
1: people? No, no I'd love to. I, it's one of my favorite things that I do, actually. It's everywhere. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on iHeartRadio. It's, it's wherever. And I started doing it a little over three years ago because I, again, wanted to extend the walls of my practice. I started blogging seven or eight years ago because I, well, my my son had gone to college and I had time to fill. And I also really um, love what I do. I'm very passionate about therapy. And I was tired of there being so much misinformation and ignorance about it. So I wanted to try to set forward what it might, you know, what decent, hopefully even good therapeutic advice might look like. The podcast, as it is has evolved, is I, I don't have guests. I've had a handful of guests, but I got feedback from my listeners that they felt as if they were talking with me or had a relationship with me, and then all of a sudden someone sort of butted in. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, well, that's not good. So it's not therapy. I mean, no podcast is therapy. Right. But I talk about different topics. I'm a very direct therapist. I'm uh, I always give people things to do and goals and assignments and recommendations, and so it offers a lot of practical, pragmatic suggestions of what I call what you can do about it. Mm-hmm. You can't do something about everything, but often if we focus on what we can do, we're we're going to be much better. So I love doing it. I also have a listener email every day. I I actually. Answer my emails, <laughs> and I have great diversity there. Um, so we talk about everything from anxiety to panic to eating disorders to investment to depression to perfectly hidden depression. Um, th- there are all kinds of things that, that we can discuss, um, and so I, I love doing it. And then the the book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, came about. Uh, back in April of 2014 when I wrote a post called, I was just thinking about some people that I had seen over the years that we discovered they were depressed, but it took some digging Mm -hmm. and they were very uncomfortable talking about it and even revealing it to themselves. uh, Very uncomfortable. And sometimes didn't even know how to use the language to talk about emotional pain. And I called it the perfectly hidden depressed person. Are you one? And it went viral. Mm -hmm. So I had hundreds of emails that came to me, this is me, I've never heard anybody talk about this, how'd you figure this out? Um, and so I began researching and figuring out that Dr. Brene Brown's work, who's of course is outstanding, her work is just wonderful, but even she stopped before she made a true Connection between perfectionism and depression, but it is definitely out there. Mm-hmm. Perfectionism has been known to be a, a problematic character trait for a long time it 's not it's no new news, but what could be fresh news to people and especially to mental health professionals, is that someone can be right, sitting right in front of you and have thoughts about hurting themselves on a regular basis and sit there and smile at you and never reveal that to you unless you absolutely ask the right question. And so uh, we all sadly and tragically probably know someone who has died by suicide who we saw in the grocery store last week or last month and looked great. Or we heard great things about them. So uh, as suicide rates rise, I want to really stress this because I think it is highly likely. In fact, I hear all the time from people who know someone or even gosh traumatically a a son or a daughter who said I didn't understand why they had killed themselves until I read about perfectly hidden depression because they had everything in the world going for them Mm -hmm. Um, before this uh, episode you and I talked a little bit about how even enmeshment can lead to this kind of strategy to look perfect and strategy to put others needs in front of your own and strategies to and that just becomes so inherent in you that you don't even think about your own needs so Um, enmeshment is one of those uh, roads to Rome (laughs) uh, (laughs) about perfectly hidden depression. There are many, but um, enmeshment is one of them. So I have loved writing about it. The book came out about three months ago and it's doing well. Um, It's not a New York times bestseller, certainly, but I'm a, unknown therapist from Fayetteville, Arkansas. I don't live on the coast. Uh, I'm not uh, with any university. So actually for what it is, and that's basically, it's, it's people are using word of mouth to get the word out. So, and I'm on podcasts like yours, which is absolutely wonderful. Well, awesome. Thank you for that.
0: Oh, for sure. And you know, uh, sitting here thinking about it, I would love to, um, I, this is going to be the last episode of season two. Sure. So you get to, to tail out my, in, uh, my season, but I would love to actually have you back on to talk specifically about that. Um, perfectionism Betcha. is a, is a, is a big deal. Um, and like you've said, you know, I think some people think about it more or less as anxiety, like, you know, yes. I'm anxious about it. Mental and health not, professionals
1: included. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so when you said that, I was like, yeah, usually when people talk about perfectionism, they're talking about the anxiety with it and not the fact that, yeah. you know, there's, There's a root of depression that's actually in there, so I think it would be powerful and would, um, you know, one of the things that uh, as a Gen X person, uh, you know, there is a there is a growing like existential crisis in our generation because we are the latchkey kids. We didn't have a lot of parental involvement, but yet we were go getters and entrepreneurs, and you know, a lot of the you know big movements in. Some of the things that our kids think that they invented, don't realize that Gen X invented, Um, you know, is kind of coming home to roost. And, you know, what do you do next? Um, You know, everything seems so great. And, you know, when you talk about, like you said, suicide is a huge topic for me to cover, especially um, when you think about that the largest growing fastest group is men my age. Yes, Um, you're right. You know, and women still attempting to die by suicide to the tune of about a million a year, um, in the same you know in the same bandwidth. There, it's it's hugely important. So yeah, I'd be honored to be able to to pick that discussion up and, and share. That, that with is everybody. a topic
1: I can talk for hours now, so. <laughs> I, I believe that
0: a lot of these topics are it's just like where's the beer, the wine, or the water, and let's go. So <laughs> well, and so everybody, I think that um, as you probably heard on this episode here with Margaret, um, you know, she is a plain speaker. She'll get to the point. I I think that if any of you are looking for um, a show that might resonate with you, I think that's why people listen to, to this and to me um, is by being, a, you know, very direct, um, straightforward. And so I would encourage you to check out what she's got there and also the book. And, um, and I want to say thank you for your time. Oh, you're really so do welcome. We had a
1: little bit of a, uh, just so your listeners know, we I, I, I got sick and then sick again, and we had <laughs> to cancel, so you've been very patient, so I'm delighted to be here with you, and gosh, I'm just about two hours from you.
0: I know, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Ever, yeah, she ended up taking a trip up to Seattle, which is just real close to Snohomish, and so yeah. we're, we're almost kind of in the same room. Yeah, we are. Room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. we are. We are anyways well thank you again margaret i'll let you go i know your husband's been sitting quietly in the background so you guys can have your room back together so tell him thank you as well for his patience sure, with us of course. My and uh, it
1: was a pleasure I'll tell, him, meeting uh, you. I'll tell him you thanked him that'll be great okay awesome <laughs>
0: yeah so thank you again it was awesome of course thank you thank you for listening to one broken mom you can find podcast notes on my website at amicuericone.com and there i'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Quirconi, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time,
1: have a great day.